You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. Well, good morning. I didn't plan on meeting you like this, but I'm glad that we're going to have a chance to look at God's Word together as we meet as a church family. You know, it doesn't take us gathering in a room to to be unified, to be together. And so as we go through this time of uncertainty in our nation, as we go through this time where there's a lot of anxiety around this coronavirus, my prayer is that that we would move forward in confidence in the God that we serve. Because He is a big God. He is a sovereign God. He's an omnipotent God. And when we trust Him for all that we are, for all that we have, then it's good. And so this morning as we gather and look at 1 Peter chapter 3, I want us to keep in mind that we are together and that we are learning God's Scripture together and moving forward in Christ. I'm glad that you've chosen to join us this morning. So let's pray as we begin, and then we'll get started in 1 Peter. Father, I pray that as we go through the morning, that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us, that you would help us to focus on you and who you are. And so, Father, as we, um, as we open the scriptures this morning, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would work. And Father, although I'm in a room alone, Father, I pray that as we've gathered together as a church family by video, that you would speak to each of us and that your word would be very clear. And so, Father, I pray that you would work in a way that would bring yourself glory and honor. And I pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So let's look at 1 Peter. And if you remember, as we got into 1 Peter, this was written to Christians living in modern-day Turkey. These folks had been pushed out, if you will, by circumstances in Rome, and, and they received this letter as an encouragement of their walk in Christ. So Peter, and you remember Peter was the apostle who has, had a big mouth, and he was also somewhat of a failure at times. He ended up being a bold proclaimer of the gospel. And while recognizing the difficult circumstances that led them into this exile, Peter writes to them with the unique opportunity of sharing Christ with the world around them. And so he's encouraging them while they're struggling, trying to figure out how to live life. And he reminds them that their identity is in Christ. It's not in something around them. It's not in the place that they came from, but it's in Christ. And their witness for Christ is essential for making a difference in the world that they're living in, this new world, this different world. And so they have to be in right relationship to those around them, the authorities around them. And Peter's encouragement from last week is that you would respond to the authority around you as if it were God telling you to do that. It shouldn't have been something strange for them. It should have been normal because they were wanting to fall under God's authority, regardless of whether the authority around them was good. So when we get into this, I want to read a couple of statements. 
to set the stage because we're moving from this idea, and maybe it's kind of like a funnel. Um, we're moving from this idea of this authority that's, that's up here, this um, governing authority, this national authority, and we're moving it closer into community and then into home. And so today we're going to talk about husbands and wives. And I know some of you are going, oh, I need to look at this video. I need to watch this separate from my husband or separate from my wife. I want to encourage you to look at it together and avoid elbowing one another. Uh, you can have a discussion when this is over, but I would encourage you to, to sit through it and listen. And don't make any rash judgments as we're going through this, because God may be teaching you, as He taught me going through this, some things that I needed to learn and that we as a congregation need to learn in the way we conduct our homes. So traditional, biblical-based views on marriage are being marginalized. I don't really need to tell you that. Marriage is being bombarded by new societal standards that wage war against God's design. In fact, media, and, and I'm not talking about just TV, but media in general has normalized anti-biblical views of marriage and family. This is the way James Emery White said it. He said, What lies at the heart of a culture that no longer knows how to blush is a culture that no longer knows the truth. See, the evangelistic influence of Christian marriages is greater when that marriage is a vibrant portrait of Christ and the church. And, and that goes back to Ephesians chapter 5. Rather than the abstract art where the interpretation is left to the viewer. See, I, I've looked at different paintings, and there are some paintings I can tell exactly what they are. There are others, when I look at it, I can't tell top from bottom, side to side, and it all has to do with the, the painter and what he designed, and then my interpretation. Well, your interpretation, if you were to come up to that same painting, may be different. And what we want to do is, in a marriage that's biblically based, is we want to put out there such a clear picture of what Christ and the church is about, what the gospel is about, that it's unmistakable, that it's not left up to interpretation. For two weeks, we have been discussing what, what God led Peter to write concerning authority especially relating to the exiles' conduct in, in their Christian witness among them. And so the, the first verses of 1 Peter chapter 3 are, are still with that context, authority and witness. And I want to tell you, this is a difficult passage to relate culturally in a lot of ways. Because the, the culture of 1 Peter's day and the culture that's referenced in this passage is very different from the culture in which we live today. But there are some transferable principles that we can put into place. It is likely true that most of us, as we look at Scripture, we tend to drift away from or drift toward interpreting Scripture through the filter of ourselves and our culture. And I would say that was true for them, but as the author writes, he's writing to that culture. Peter didn't have our culture in mind when he wrote it. And so when Peter writes this, we have to look at it and understand it through that culture and then see how that applies to us. 
always keeping in mind that God has a word for us and that God is putting this together and God has written it to go beyond just the culture of that day but go into our culture as well. And so the title of this morning's message is Order in the Home, Who's in Charge? And so I want us to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7. through 7. And we're going to be discussing three ideas throughout this message. So I'll give you those in just a moment. Let's go ahead and read 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Here's what it says. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, this is verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. When I look at that passage, um, I kind of have to chuckle a little bit because Peter spends the first six verses of this chapter talking about wives and how they are to live and act and respond to their husbands, how they are to dress and the example they are to follow. And then we get to verse 7 in that one verse Peter writes to husbands. And, and I want to tell you just right up front is although there is more text related to the wife, the, the idea in verse 7 holds so much weight for the husbands that it need not be missed. So, so guys, you may look at this and go, man, I'm so glad we're talking about wives this morning for six-sevenths of the time. I want to tell you that although the time may be spent in a little bit in that way, that you are not off the hook. Guys, you have a responsibility that is incredible, a privilege that you ought to deem as a gift from God. And so as we go through this, we're going to look at a couple of things. We're going to look at roles in marriage, and, and we're not going to call them out as we go. I just want you to notice them as we go. Roles in marriage, rights in marriage, and responsibilities in marriage. So as we do that this morning, um, we're going to learn a couple of things. So as we look at this first verse, in verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 3, it starts off with likewise. And, and we recognize that word. It's a very familiar word in Scripture. It means in the same way. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, when Peter writes this, what is he writing it in, in regards to? In the same way as what? Is it the same way as we respond to the authority of the government? Is it the same way we respond to the authority of our bosses or those who employ us? And we talked about the, the slave master part of that, but how that transcended to various authorities that, that God may have placed in our lives. Is it that authority? 
Or is it the authority that Peter references when he's talking about Christ and, and Christ's submission to the Father? And so you remember that Jesus is called a living stone and, and Peter turns around and says, you are living stones that God is heaping together and putting together for a purpose. But then it also called Jesus, and, and we understand this, a living sacrifice, and we are to live after the pattern of Jesus. And so the term, likewise, likely points back to the person and work of Jesus. So likewise, wives, look at Jesus as the example. And as we funnel this in and talk about the application of this, as we move from government into different authorities all the way into the home, we have to understand this passage is about marriage. This passage is about the home and the home as represented in the community. Now, there's something we need to understand. That sometimes it is much easier to live the Christian life outside the home among those that we're not as familiar with as it is to live in the home with those we are very familiar with. Um, you may have been in one of those situations where your child went to somebody else's home. You had a conversation with a parent when that, after that child got back and they said, your child behaved like an angel. They did everything they were asked to do. They ate their vegetables. They did all the things that they were supposed to, and you're like, um, I'm not sure you had the right child. I, I think you had somebody else's child, because that's not the way my child acts when they're home. And, and they just respond to somebody different. And sometimes our Christianity is different outside the home than it is inside the home. And that's not necessarily a good thing, but I'm saying that inside the home, when we're talking about wives and husbands, this may be one of the most difficult places to live out the Christian life. As we do this, we have to understand that this is tough. This is, good. this is going to be hard. And as we work through these different parts of this passage, we have to understand the difficulty and continue to go back to God and ask Him to help us in each of these situations. And so as we look at this, we have to understand that God has put the marriage together. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 talks about how God made man in his image, that's male and female in his image. And so there's a, there's a part of this that we have to understand that every person, whether they're inside the home or outside the home, is made in the image of God and needs and deserves the respect that comes with being made in the image of God. And in Genesis 2.20, that God created a helpmate for Adam. He saw that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone, and none of the animals fit the bill for helping him. And so God made a woman, Eve. And, and in chapter 3 of Genesis, we read about what the, respond, or the, um, the result of the fall is. In verse 16, it talks, God talks to Eve and said, you will have, you will have pain in childbirth. And then in verse 17 through 19, talks to Adam about how he's going to have to work the ground to earn, to gain food. That, that life is going to be about toiling. And eventually you will go back to dust from which you came. And so as God has put these together, understand that God created man. Sin got in the way of that relationship and messed up so much stuff. But God put male and female together. 
to bring him glory and to act as a picture of Christ in the church and the order of redemption. The first point this morning is that wives that respect their husbands honor God. The, the word here in, in this very first part of 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. What does it mean to be subject? It's that same word that we've read about before. It's to, to be submissive or to be under the authority, willing to be under the authority of the husband. So what is the qualifier for that? What's the qualifier for being under that authority? Well, Peter in this passage seems to, to not give one. It doesn't say... Be subject to your own husbands if they do the will of God. Or be subject to the, your own husbands if they're Christian. If they seem to have this propensity for following after God's word, for hunting Him instead of other things. It doesn't say that. It says, be subject to your own husbands. Not somebody else's husband, but your husband. Then he goes on to say, so that even if some do not obey the word, and there he's referencing those that would be outside of the family of Christ. And that's a big deal, because when Peter writes this, there likely was some intermarriage, and there likely was marriage of women to Jews who hadn't believed in Jesus as the Messiah. There was likely a marriage or two that was referenced here to a pagan um, a secular, if you will, a Gentile husband who would not have obeyed God's word, wouldn't have had a relationship with Christ. And so when Peter writes this, he's not writing it where there are exemptions. There are no exemptions for wives to not fall under the authority of their husband or not be submissive. And Peter gives a goal for marriage. And that's already mismatched in its salvation in Christ. Look what it says. That they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. So the idea is if you have someone that does not believe, if you have someone that's having a difficult time falling under the authority of God, then you win them over by your conduct. So Peter writes this and he's talking about this conduct being a behavior or a manner of life. Solomon wrote, and we're going to get to some of the things in the book of Proverbs here where he talks about what it is to have a wife that's chasing God and what it is to have a wife that isn't. Proverbs 21.9, it says that it is better to live in the corner on a roof than to live with a contentious woman. Or it's better to be in a desert land than live with a contentious or vexing woman. In Proverbs 27, 15, the dripping of a steady rain, and I'm not talking about that rain that you love to hear on the roof of your house that helps you to sleep. It's like this nagging thing that is in your life. It's better not to have a wife that is like that. Samuel writes in Proverbs 31, as he writes about a woman that, that works hard, that is worthy of honor, that is worthy of and, and brings honor to her family, but she's worthy of being praised. There's two different pictures in Proverbs. Proverbs 21 and 27 talks about the difficulty in a marriage, and then Proverbs 31 that has high praise for the wife that is submitted to God and under the authority of her husband. Now here's what I want you to catch. 
Strength and submission are not exclusive of one another. Hear that. Strength and submission are not exclusive of one another. A wife can be strong and submissive. She does not have to be weak to be submissive. And I want to tell you in this passage, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more in a, minute, in a moment, that husbands have no right to push their authority on a wife. See, it takes a strong woman to be submissive in less than ideal circumstances. And so Peter's writing this to, to women and saying, ladies, you need to be strong. You need to be, you need to be tough. And sometimes being a woman of God is tough when the husband is not of God. So what are the characteristics of this wife? First of all, she is respectful. She's respectful. Maybe one without a word. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, she's respectful. Emerson Egridge is says this, he says, Husbands are made to be respected, want respect, and expect respect. John Eldridge uses the term, he uses the term validation. Men respond to respect in a way that motivates love. The second thing is pure conduct. And that's essentially this idea of not being manipulative. When you look back at, at Rebecca in the Old Testament, she was a manipulative mom and, and a manipulative wife. Third thing, it says that she is to be adorned. Now this word adorned goes all the way back to Queen Esther. When she was going in to see the king, she put, put on her royal robes. Essentially, she was a, a pleasing of sight. What Peter is doing here is he's distinguishing and he's starting to use those terms. And really, that's one of the last times that the word adorning is used. The external adorning is used in a positive fashion in Scripture. And from there on, and even with Esther, <clears throat> seems to take on this idea of the internal being more important. So the possibility, number one, is external adorning, and that's the braiding of hair, gold jewelry, putting on clothing. And, and I would say within our culture um, that we have to be careful. Um, this, this idea here represents suggestive dress. Uh, it's uh, avoiding the suggestive and provocative dress in order to draw attention, to stay away from allure and tempt and invite. Second possibility that Peter writes here is about the inward part. It says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of, of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So possibility two is internal. It's of the heart. It's imperishable. It has lasting beauty. Proverbs 31.30, if you want to look up that, says it's gentle and of quiet spirit. And that means to be peaceable. When we lived in Kentucky, there was a storm that rolled through and, and I was walking around the hallways and I had a church member come into the church and ask me, and he said this, he said, is the steeple supposed to give any or sway at all? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I have no idea, but I, but I know who does. Let me, let me come out and take a look. And then I looked up and the steeple was swaying. Just a little bit, but it was swaying. You could tell it was swaying. 
If you'll just wait, you keep an eye on that. I'll go in and I called the architect. Architect had been up all night. I called him. I said, David, David, I need to know something. Is the steeple on top of the church designed to sway with the wind? And he, uh, you could just kind of tell that something wasn't quite right when he answered because he said, I'll be there in about five minutes. Give me just a moment. And he said, you go, just watch. And so I went outside and I watched. I waited on him to get there. He got there. He looked at that and he said, no, it is not supposed to sway at all. It's supposed to be stable. And so we watched it. And the more we watched, the more it swayed. But it was supposed to be peaceable. It was supposed to be gentle and of quiet spirit. And, God, and Peter says, in God's sight, this is precious. And that means it has extraordinary value. And so a lady who has a gentle and quiet spirit on the inside, it's precious to God because she is able to respond to the authority placed over her with strength and submission in a way that honors God. And then Peter writes of this comparison. He said, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. And then he references Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and actually called him Lord. She called him Lord, and within that culture, it was a very acceptable title. You remember that the families looked different at that particular point in time, and that it was an extended family, and there was lots of wealth around that family. For Abraham, there was, there was cattle and, and all kinds of, of farm animals, but all kinds of family. And when God spoke to him and asked him to move, he had to pack up all of that and go. Well, how did that conversation go between him and Sarah? Do you think that was a conversation that went well? I know that if I had a conversation with Debbie like that and said, hey, honey, um, next couple weeks we're moving, need to put the house up for sale, would you go ahead and start packing? She would probably ask me if I was going to start packing. And, and so it, it would be a strange conversation. And yet in that culture, Abraham was the king of his kingdom. Essentially, the husband in that kind of culture and in that family was a small king. And if you remember from Ezekiel 34, a king had certain responsibilities. It was to protect and to provide for his kingdom. And that was Abraham's role. And so Sarah called him Lord and recognized the authority that he had within their family unit or within their larger extended family. But you remember Abraham wasn't perfect. That, that he actually posed some ideas that were really strange when he went to a foreign land. Like, why don't you pose to be my sister? And, and you would think, if I were Sarah, I could never do that. That would be that'd be really odd, and but she listened, and and it's not that Abraham was the model of all things spiritual. It wasn't that he was perfect, and it wasn't even that that she recognized that he listened to God at every single moment of his life. She recognized him because God had given her a husband, and he was the authority within their home. He was the one that she was to respect and to follow. Sarah, it says that Sarah did good. She did not fear. And, and I would think in those, some of those situations that fear would have been the top of the list. 
but she didn't fear. In fact, we're talking about fear even now within our culture in this coronavirus. And we hold to the, to the point where we should not fear. Because why? Because we don't think the, the virus will get to us or our immune system is that good. No, we don't fear because God is in control. And for Sarah, God was in control. God had it figured out. She loved God, and her trust was foremost in Him. So Sarah modeled a trust and a security that she found in God, not Abraham. Her submission started with her reliance on God. And so likewise again, from the vantage point of all in the Savior, Sarah did what she was supposed to do, and wives are to respect their husbands, and that brings honor to God, and it's part of what the order is in God's economy. The second thing is that we jump all the way through to verse 7. Husbands that love their wives glorify God. Look what it says. Likewise, and here we go back to the authority of Christ and the, and the submission of Christ to the Father. Likewise, husbands, live with, live with your wives in an understanding way. Live with, live with your wives in an understanding way. That word lives means to abide together. It's not just, it's not just tolerate. You know, I tolerate my wife. I can't believe it. I, you know, can get down that road. It's not just tolerate your life. It's to, to live with together, abide together. It's an intimacy that involves emotional, intellectual, physical, and spiritual investment and involvement. You cannot be a leader husband in authority and expect your wife to respect you if you are not doing the things that God has called you to do. And understand that you are to live with your wife. Do life. Second thing is operate from understanding. What are your wife's needs and desires? Now, it's not that you play Santa Claus or... or some benevolent dictator in, within your home. And, and if your wife has this desire that she poses it to you and you come bearing gifts every single day, that's not the idea here. The idea is that you come with an understanding that your wife has needs. And you're there as the authority, as the, the king of your little kingdom to come and be the protector and the provider for that kingdom or for your home. Gary Smalley wrote a book on love languages, and it's a great perspective on how you can understand your wife, what, what is important to her, how you can serve her, how you can be that person that points her to God and helps be the, what Christ is to the church. You can be that for your wife. Third thing is to honor. It says, that um, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And we'll, we'll just stop there for a second because I'm sure eyebrows went up. And in, the first thing is to honor. It's interesting what the, what the Greek word is for the word honor here. And it means to esteem or value. And it's the word time. And we would spell it time. Now, how do you spend time with your wife? How do you esteem value in her? And then it says, as the weaker vessel. And now, hear me very clearly. 
when Peter's writing this about being the weaker vessel, he may only be talking about the physical. It's not of lesser value. Please understand that if we go all the way back to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, we're not talking about somebody who is less than the image of God that's been created. Like man has been created in the image of God, so was woman. See, treated poorly, an object that is valued will break. My mom used to do some, some pottery and some things like that, and she would put some things together. And, and I've, I've got a ceramic Christmas tree that we pull out at Christmas time, and she made several ceramic things. And I remember going to her house as a young adult. And I would go there, and I remember just picking it up, and it seemed like I always tended to drop her creation. Um, it, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was something in my brain where my brain and my hands didn't work together. I really don't know what the deal was, but I seemed to always drop her ceramic pieces. And, and in doing that, I began to care for the pieces that she made with an extreme care. Like I, like I would hold, always hold them with two hands. I would maybe grab a tile and wrap it around it so that I wouldn't break it. And I understood that it was a weaker vessel. And so I needed to treat it with more care. That's all Peter is saying here, is treat your wife with more care. Because treated poorly, she will break. A wife treated poorly will suffer brokenness and she will learn to live in the absence of care and protection. And guys, we need to step into care and protecting our wives. So lastly, in this passage, godly marriages rely on the grace of God. Look what it says in this last part. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers won't be hindered. Understand that the foot of the cross, it, it's pretty level. We have no advantage. We may be a guy, but we're no closer to the foot of the cross and forgiveness through Christ than our wife is. We are joint heirs with Christ. There's no distinction between the husband and the wife. Heirs of grace, place of equality through Christ. And so you may say, I have authority. Yeah, but you're still mutually submissive to one another. And then it says that your prayers won't be hindered. Now, I've read that a couple different ways, and we could say Peter's just talking to the guys. And I'm not sure that's completely true. I think when he's writing this in this whole passage, he may be writing that in all these things, that your relationship should be such that you're not at odds with each other in a way that hinders your prayer life. You see, it's, if you're at odds with your husband or at odds with your wife, is it not hard to pray? <clears throat> and certainly it would be hard to pray together. And Peter's saying, that ought not be. There should be nothing that hinders your prayer life and your marriage relationship because of what it is in Christ ought to be something that elevates Christ in your home and not takes away from that vital relationship that you have with Him. And so Peter writes this, In grace through Christ, marriages can praise God. 
In, in fact, Paul wrote about it in Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to jump there real quick. Let me see if I can get to it. Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 22. It says this, Wives, be subject, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church in, to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love, love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound, is what Paul writes. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So Paul writes very similarly to, to Peter. and says, who's in charge, the husband and wife? Which one? Or is it God? Is it God that's supposed to be in charge in the home? And the husband and wife relate to God in such a way that it honors and praises Him? And so the question is, is not their what's the order in the home? What's the order in the heart? What is the order in your heart? See, because it doesn't start with elbowing your wife and saying, wife, you need to get your heart together. Or you as a wife turning to your husband and say, husband, you need to get together so I can follow you as the authority. Get it together. No, it's each one of you looking at yourself and saying, where is my heart? Is God in charge of my heart? Because the heart is reflected in the home. The heart is reflected in the home. It, and I want to put this, this in parentheses here, not as a disinfectant for rebellion. So if you say, man, if I just have my act together and my wife or my husband have their act together, then our children will turn out just perfect. I want to tell you that's not necessarily the case. You're supposed to do that and have your heart in line with God's heart, but it does not guarantee or disinfect the home from rebellion. Sometimes rebellion is rebellion. And that's where the husband and wife need to be on the same page. So, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Now, here's the tension. We may walk into this and say, I know I have failed in my marriage. I know I have failed in my family. And, and we can do this. We can continue to live in that failure. That's a possibility. Or today, we can mark a new start. 
We can simply say, and if you remember, and some of you will remember this, the Bob Newhart counseling situation where his response to the ladies worried about being buried in a box alive. When he says to her, two words, stop it. That's all he says, stop it. And, and what he's saying is we need to stop living in the failure that causes us to turn and live in the failure with guilt and shame. And turn to God and say, God, help me to stop living in that cycle and begin living for you. Staying in the cycle of human striving is futile. It's time to turn back to God's design. And, and this is what Revelation 3.15 talks about. And if you remember what, that, what that's about, it's a, it's a church that says, I know you're getting by and you know there is more. And I would say that probably describes a lot of marriages in our church. I know you're getting by and you know there's more. The Laodicean church had to move past their pride, they needed to repent, and they needed to receive God's grace. That was the call. And then some of us have left their first love. It's, it's Revelation 2-4, the Ephesian church, that out on the outside, everything looks good, but the heart is far from God. It is moved. It's left its first love. And do you remember when you met your wife or your husband? Or, or maybe, maybe it wasn't love at first sight. Maybe it was down the road just a little bit. But there was this affection that was building. And what did you, what did you say in that? And what did you feel in that? Did you give part of your heart away? In essence, you say, I love with you with all my heart. It goes back to the heart. And we may say we love our husband or our wife with all our heart, but our heart needs to be centered on Christ first. We need not leave our first love of God for chasing other things when God's called us to love Him first. And that enables us to love and respect our spouses. And so I want to ask you today, what will your response to 1 Peter 1 through 3, 1 through 7. What will that be today? Will you say, my heart needs to return to God? Will you say, I need to come to the altar? Now, I realize we're not in the church building this morning. But there's a place that you can go in your home that can be your place of altar this morning. Where you commit again your heart to Him. And say, God, help me to live as the husband that you want me to be. Help me to live as the wife you want me to be. And there are some of you that need to get together as a couple and pray together. And say, God, us together, we need to be centered on you. That our family and our home would glorify you and become a very clear portrait for the world to see around us. Remember the idea was that Peter was writing to exiles that needed to make a difference in their culture. And we do. Now there are some 
that you've lived a while. And even though you've made mistakes, you're older and have learned from those mistakes. And you can come alongside a younger couple. And I want to encourage you over the next week or two to seek out another couple. And maybe, maybe you'll take them to dinner. Or maybe you'll just go for a walk. Maybe you'll go get ice cream or something. And you guys just get together and talk about what it means to have a marriage that honors God. So I want to encourage you to do some of those things this week and over the next couple of weeks. We're going to pray in just a moment, and we'll be dismissed from this video. But I'm glad that you came today, that you came to share this time, to look at God's Word, and to receive a challenge from that Word. So let's pray together, and then um, we'll talk just for another moment. God, thank you for your Word. Thank you that you speak. And Father, we may be in one of several situations this morning. And Father, it may be that we're married or we're not married. We may be a teenager or a child or a senior adult. And we say, you know, I'm not in a marriage relationship. Some of these things just don't apply to me. And then we may be in one of those cases where we're a husband or a wife. Father, I pray that as we've looked at this, you've challenged our heart that our heart would relate to you in such a way that it would honor and glorify you and that our conduct, because of the condition of our heart, would be one that helps folks see who you are and that it makes a difference in the world around us. And so, Father, I pray that you would do that with our church family this morning, even as we meet in different circumstances. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we conclude this morning, I want to remind you that we're in this mode because we are trying to be good stewards and responsible um, for the flock that is called Ebenezer Baptist Church. Um, we don't want anybody to get sick. We don't want to get to the place where we maybe, maybe something would happen and we'd regret that. Um, we may be being overcautious and we may be taking this panic very seriously. However, we want to be honoring to those that are in our congregation and realize that there are some that have a higher risk than others. And they're not, and we don't know everything about this virus at this particular point, but we want to be wise. We have a really big God that protects and cares for us, but we want to be wise in the stewardship of this flock. And so, although we haven't met today, and I don't know what the days ahead will look like, um, we will keep you informed. Uh, we'll do it by email and by phone bite and through our website and our Facebook page, and we'll let you know whether we're meeting. Our next scheduled meeting will be Wednesday night with different classes and our fellowship meal, but we will know a little bit earlier than Wednesday afternoon whether we will meet Wednesday. And then we'll make a decision later in the week for next Sunday. And my hope that is in all of this, that we'll use it as an opportunity to point to a very big God that loves us a lot, who loves us beyond measure and allowed His Son to go to the cross on our behalf and then provides hope through, through the empty tomb. And, and my hope is that as we do that, that the world around us will see us as those that are serving within our community. 
So I would ask you, even at this time, if you know of someone that is in need or, or maybe they're elderly and have some anxiousness around the virus, that you may go to them and say, I'd be willing to help you. Do you need me to go and buy groceries for you? Or do you need me to do something for you? And look for opportunities to serve in your neighborhood or those that you know. And I trust that God will use that. And He will honor both us meeting like this and He will honor our hearts that want to serve Him for His kingdom and for His glory. So guys, thanks for being with us this morning, um, for being in this place, for worshiping. And, um, and my hope is that you will have a great week in Christ. Keep your eyes on Him. Keep trusting Him and have your heart set to bring glory to the Father. Have a great rest of the day, and we'll see you later this week. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, please do share it with others and check out our other ministries at ebcconnect.org.